Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. What was revealed to you in darkness, revealed it in light. What was whispered in two years, shattered on the rooftops. Good afternoon, church. Good to see you guys. All those that are joining through YouTube live streaming, welcome you. Miss you guys, love you guys, and I continue to pray and long for the day that we will be able to physically gather together in this wonderful house of God and worship together. Perhaps one day, hand to hand, joining, uh, no longer uh, social distancing, but spiritual nearing that we would be able to be in one house of God and worship our God and and share that wonderful fellowship that we do have uh, together with all of you. Um, I don't know about you guys, but one of the greater challenges in the past three weeks, or perhaps since the time that we have been told or we have been advised by the government to stay home and remain home, having to work from home, having to spend extended hours uh, with our children, and and wearing the hat, uh, though inadequate as we may be, having to wear the hat of uh, a teacher, and now uh, also some of us figuring out Uh, navigating through the challenges of working with their spouses in the same house, same building, maybe some of us in the same room. Uh, There are a lot of tensions in many places. And and, uh, I I don't know about you, but for me, many times I feel the immense pressure of uh, figuring this out, um, uh, getting it right and, and not making a mistake or, or, or doing it to the best of my ability. Uh, certainly, that's always my goal, but uh, sometimes I, I find myself being overwhelmed by God, I, I overwhelmed by the sense that, man, I cannot make any mistake, and I want to make sure that ab- absolutely everything was well. Um, and I was just reminded that, and God just kind of tugged in my heart, that we have never gone through anything like this. Uh, we have never been in a season where we were forced into a situation where literally our entire lives were just uh, uh, turned upside down or whatnot, and and I just felt like God just comforting us that it's okay that we do not have all, all the answers, and I think what's what is important is that that we are continued uh, we are continuously uh, humble before God, we are continuously mindful and prayerful that we uh, uh, depend on God and and trust that uh, in the longevity of the season that God will direct us onto the right path. So whether you are a business owner, whether you are a teacher, counselor, a physician, um, or, or just uh, or parent, um, and I, I just want to say grace to you and, and be covered in God's grace that it is okay. It's okay for you to make a mistake. Amen, church? Amen, church? Uh, it's okay um, to fight. With your spouses. <laughs> Amen? Parents, do not feel stricken with guilt that you lose it at times at your kids. And God says, it's okay. Amen? Whew! I feel the relief. Um, I wanted to share a couple of announcements with you, church. Um, in the light of what um, the crisis that we are facing as a nation and for all of us as individuals, our church uh, leadership and I, we were 
committed to the cause of that we will be very involved and be very active in doing whatever part that God has empowered us to do. So um, the board members and I, we have committed to the cause of uh, focus our relief uh, as a church twofold. One is that we would partner up uh, with, a, uh, with an existing organization that is committed to the task of relieving, uh, bringing relief in, in the time of this crisis, that we would partner up for the next six months and, and make monthly contribution to an organization that we have found um, that is doing a very necessary job. So uh, on April 1st, uh, Rooftop Church has donated $1,000 to St. Joseph Medical Group uh, particularly for um, the provision of PPE. Is that what you call PPE? So I know there's a lot of shortage and lack in all those frontline workers. So we have committed $1,000 as a church to help with that um, uh, a cause. And we will do so for the next five more months uh, in going forward. Also, the second leg of our relief, uh, we thought it would be great to um, and be very practical in meeting the needs of our church members in this time of need. So uh, for whatever reasons, during this season of COVID-19 crisis, maybe you are someone that has lost a job. Maybe you are someone has seen a reduction of your working hours, or you were, poor, uh, you were put on a, uh, a furlough by your company. And if you are, uh, uh, and, not or, and, you are a self-employed person. You have a small business. You're a small business owner. And, um, and we wanted to be able to be very proactive in bringing some kind of relief. Um, uh, we understand very well that the church cannot be the answer for uh, the difficulty that you encounter in your life. But we do believe that we can be a small part uh, in bringing you encouragement and relief. So we have titled it for uh, uh, Groceries Help. So, um, and we will send out a, a detailed email this coming week and how you can access the relief that is provided by the church. Again, this um, second prong of the relief that we're committed to will extend to the next six months. So, again, I want to just encourage you in this time of difficult season, let us look to God, let us trust God, and understand that though we may feel alone at times, that God is never, ever leaving us. So uh, be strong and, and be hopeful. Next announcement that we have is Good Friday. This coming is we're in a, a blessed season, uh, perhaps um, the most important season for us, all Christians here. Uh, we will be having Good Friday service uh, via YouTube uh, live streaming. So be ready to join uh, this coming Friday at 8 p.m., for Good Friday service. We have prepared a short time of worship, uh, uh, time of sharing God's word, and, and allowing you to continue to reflect upon the death and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're also doing something very unique. We will be having our first virtual communion this time. So while we cannot gather um, in the church building that we have decided to try out let us have communion. So I'm asking all of you church members, you have next five days to prepare your own communion elements. So 
If you do not have bread, any form of bread, um, I encourage you, next five days, it would be wonderful if you could make a market run and prepare yourself um, some form of bread and also a cup of fruit juice. And prepare that. And in the comfort of our own homes, we will be partaking in the Lord's communion. And for further instructions that day, uh, I will make sure to lead the entire church uh, that night when we do gather together for Good Friday service. And Easter, uh, next Sunday, we will have, again, online services. Um, but I know that children's ministry have prepared wonderful activities, festivities for you and your families to partake and enjoy, again, in your home, while practicing healthy social distancing. Uh, last but not least, I want to remind you that this coming week is Blocks Week. So um, anywhere from Tuesday to Thursdays, I know I've listed all these um, locations of our blocks meetings, um, but um, if they happen to differ or if there are any changes, I know that your block leader will email you and invite you to either Zoom or Google Hangout or whatever platform that is available online. So it's incredible. Um, uh, we were having, we rolled out four blocks uh, at the beginning of this last fall in 2019, but uh, because of the crisis, Praise God that all of you, all of the church members, are now able to access blocks. So I certainly look forward to meeting with all of you online. If you happen to uh, be a part of the block that I'm leading or being part of, and if you're not yet connected, you haven't done it, I encourage you guys to do it. It is wonderful. We need fellowship. Um, yes. All right. Look forward to that. I think that is it with all the announcements. Do we have any more? Okay, good. All right. I'm excited to preach today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke? We're looking into chapter 19, and we're reading from verse 36 all the way to verse 44. And I'm reading from the NSB translation. And this is a reading of God's Word. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mountain of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children with your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, I thank you for gathering us here today. God, we are um, meeting online, though we're not physically together. God, we know that together in your presence... 
We are one body, one church. God, on this Palm Sunday, God, we want to reflect on the work of your son, Jesus Christ. We are reminded of the great sacrifice. We're reminded of your unending love for us. God, in this time of national, perhaps international crisis, global crisis, God, may we draw strength, comfort, and peace knowing that you are with us and you are forever for us. So God, we just concede our, our lives, our hearts onto you this morning. And God, may you come to us, minister to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. It's a day when many churches and Christians all around the world remember the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Prior to the events that led to His betrayal, His death, and His resurrection, Jesus marched into the city of God riding on a donkey. And that uh, symbolic act was actually a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy just given about 500, 500 years prior to that, that the, the said that Messianic king of Israel would enter into the city not on a horse as a mighty warrior or conqueror, but it was prophesied that the new king would enter the city, enter Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, bringing salvation, bringing peace into the city of God, according to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus, the route that Jesus took into the city of Jerusalem began at the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And as he rode the donkey down that path, crowds, uh, multitudes have gathered, began to gather, began to throng that road, and began to bring, bring praises upon praises upon Jesus as he was entering into the city. They were hailing him as a king of Israel. Understand that that was not some momentary spur of the moment, or they weren't, they weren't overcome with emotions right on that spot, but they had seen him and followed him for a good amount of time. We know that scriptures tell us that Jesus' ministry lasted just about three years. During the course of those three years, that Jesus had garnered not only the attention of the crowds and the people of Israel, but during that time, that uh, Jesus had gained trust and the faith of Jesus. So when, when, when people have found out that Jesus was making his way into the city of Jerusalem, they have kind of uh, 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 amassed the crowds. They have scheduled their, their lives together and to make sure to give proper and just uh, highly uh, exalted welcome as Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem. For all the miracles that He had performed, all the wonderful things that He had done for the people at that time. So during the holiday season, waiting for the Passover to begin for four days, the word probably got out that Jesus is coming to the city of David for that People gathered. They, they, they didn't just gather. They brought their families out. They brought the olive branches. Uh, I mean the palm branches. And they were waving up and down, up and down, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. What did the palm branches represent? Those palm branches were actually uh, reserved for war heroes. 
They were actually reserved for the time when king would return after a long period of war. When the king would come in back to the nation, back to the city, declaring and, 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 and crying out that they have returned in victory. And they would wave these tall, long palm branches, hailing praises, heaping praises upon the glorious return of the king. And that's what these people were preparing for as Jesus was entering the city of God. You know, anyone receiving such treatment might feel lifted up, might feel very encouraged, and might have this sense of, man, the sense of great honor, joy, and even pride. You know, for me, I certainly would feel that way. If people would gather for the sake of welcoming me, especially giving me credit for the things that I might have done, and they're glad to see me, they're happy to see me, and they're letting me know how special I am in their eyes, they're shouting out their names, my, my name, I would be moved. And I would probably grinning ear to ear. I'll be pumping my fists. I'll be waving at the crowds. You know, instead of reveling in the overpowering, rejoicing all around Jesus, Jesus does something quite unexpected. As He gazed at the happy faces of all those people that have gathered there, and the entire city of Jerusalem standing with them, joining and welcoming Him, His response to the crowds his response to the people rejoicing and celebrating, the scriptures tell us that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He wept as he was overcome with deep sorrow and grief in his heart. That tears began to flow and he openly and verbally expressed his lament over the city of Jerusalem. You know, after many years of meditating upon this passage, after I don't know how many messages that I prepared to speak on Palm Sunday, it didn't really occur to me to pay close attention to what was happening after people were heaping praises upon Jesus. And it begs us a question to ask, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus to, uh, weep? Why did Jesus choose to give such a different response during his triumphal entry. Was it perhaps because he knew in his omniscience. Of all the terrible things that he was going to suffer. Was he perhaps burdened by the physical suffering. That he, he would be brought upon. The short answer to that is, is obviously no. Jesus was not weeping for himself. Then what? And this is what we will do today. We will focus on verses 42 and 44. As we look at them, we will discover the three reasons why Jesus wept. And hopefully this will serve as a prelude or as a primer as we enter into the week. Uh, the, the Holy Week or the Passion Week. First, Jesus wept because of His desire for the peace of Jerusalem. Or I should say, because of His love of Jerusalem. Read verse 42 with me here. In verse 42 it says, 
if you even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, the central idea in this passage for Jesus' lament is peace. He was expressing his sorrow for Jerusalem because it had rejected him, because therefore it missed its opportunity for peace, or the peace of God. Jerusalem was meant to be a city of peace. Literally in its name is city of peace. Shar, shalom, Jerusalem, right? It's literally a city of peace. When King David made this city the capital of Israel about a thousand years prior to coming of Jesus, he chose it because of its excellent, excellent location. First of all, you know the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. And David was the second king who succeeded Saul. As you know that Saul was a, uh, a tribe, uh, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And David himself was from the tribe of Judah. So, when, uh, so there would be this feeling when David became king, maybe becoming, maybe being of the two different tribes that perhaps there is contention, Perhaps there's misunderstanding. Perhaps the people of Judah felt uh, uneasy qualms about, man, what are we looking at now? What are we going to do? Are we, going to, are we all good? Is there any beef? Or is there any animosity? So perhaps, so I believe that David was very strategic in that Jerusalem's location on the, nearing on the border between the, uh, these two tribes would help bring peace and recon- reconciliation between these um, two tribes. And the positioning of Jerusalem was also very interesting. It was high up on the mountain of uh, Mount Zion. It, it sat at the top of a mountain ridge. So it was blessed with its own resources of water from several good springs. And they say the kingdom, it, it was the main, main city of the kingdom of God because the weather was really, really nice. Kind of like California. We don't really have a, a harsh winter. Um, summers are hot, but it's also not as bearable. So a lot of times, Jerusalem became this. Uh, 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 it became widely known as a land that was always fruitful, a land that was peaceful. And the positioning, as it sat at the top of a mountain ridge, it also served a very strategic purpose. In a time of war or or from a military point of view. All who dwelt within the city felt quite safe and secure from all of its enemies. Being able to enjoy peace. So in many of these facets, Jerusalem represented peace of God. Jerusalem represented God's protection. But as you may know that... The history of Jerusalem has shown that it has not been a city of peace, even until recent times. If you study the history of the city, or even Jewish history, during the course of 3,500 years of the existence of the city, it had gone through, I looked this up actually, it had gone through 118 major conflicts meaning more than a hundred wars being fought in the land of Jerusalem. And it had been besieged. 
meaning it had been taken over for 32 times during the course of the entirety of the history of the city. The Assyrians, Babylonians, the Greeks, Romans, the Turks, when the Christians, Crusaders came, they also invaded Jerusalem. And as, as most recent as we know now, even now it serves as a place of contention, as a constant fighting and, and war between the Palestinians and the Jews in that land. Instead of city of peace, Jerusalem had become a city of weeping. Perhaps Jesus in his omniscience, he was for, uh, looking forward to the pain and, and just the ravage that the city would eventually go through. In fact, just two days after this triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, Jesus provided more details about the uh, 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 impending destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 21, if you read through verses 20 and 24, this is, is what is said of the city of Jerusalem. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by army, that recognize that her desolation is near, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. By year 70, just within the 40 years upon Jesus' death and resurrection, we would see eventually Jerusalem would fall under the hands of Titus, the Roman general, the son of, of uh, Vespasian, the emperor. And he would capture the city. He would just completely wreck it to the ground. It was so bad. The destruction of the city was so bad. The destruction was so complete. So complete that all that remained was the glorious temple was just reduced to down to a single wall. Remember that God had summoned King David to prepare a temple. And that cause was given to King David. And that project was actually completed by his son, King Solomon. And he established this beautiful temple that forever served as God's dwelling place. That said in the city of Jerusalem, being reminded that, that God was with the Israelites, that God's presence forever accompanied them, that sat as a symbol of peace, that sat as a symbol of God's favor upon the nation of Israel. But year 70 AD, when the destruction of Jerusalem came, what represented God's presence among them was reduced down to a single wall. Today we call that the Wailing Wall. Any of you guys may know. Because many Jews would go there and weep. And they're basically lamenting over the destruction of their beloved city. That destruction in 70 AD eliminated, that would cause eventually for all the Jews to scatter through the entire world. And for 2,000 years, we see even now the, the Jewish diaspora living and going and, 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 and passing on their narrative to their descendants even to this day. So when Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem, while with his physical eyes, 
He's seeing people cheering him on. He would see that people were happy to, to see him. But his heart was grieved because he foresaw the destruction and the anguish that, Jesus, uh, that Jerusalem would eventually face. And he was grieving over it. And that's the first reason that caused our Lord Jesus to weep over the city. The loss of peace. The loss of shalom in the city of Jerusalem. Now, God desires for us to be blessed with the same peace. He said in John chapter 14 verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. See, understand, in, even in the language of Jesus, peace or the wholeness is very important to Him. And He desires the same for us. He desires such peace for us. And I know that today, He weeps over the fact that there is no peace in our lives. Jesus empathizes with us in that our hearts are constantly struggling with restlessness. He empathizes with us in that there's uncertainty. And that uncertainty in life, in our lives, puts us at unease. And God laments over the fact that there is no peace found, even in our own hearts and even in our own lives. And He also weeps, I believe, bitterly over the fact that we have allowed enemies Many enemies, many things in this world, we have allowed them to infiltrate the borders of our hearts. We have conceded in the weakness of our flesh. We have allowed these enemies to come and just take over. And God today laments over the fact that there is no peace in your heart. This brings us to our second reason for Jesus' weeping over Jerusalem. And the second reason is that Jesus wept because Jerusalem rejected Him. Because Jerusalem rejected Him. The greatest offense toward Jesus was that the Jews rejected the Messiah. Let's look at verse 44 together. It says, they will dash you to the ground, and you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When God the Son came to His own people, the Jews, they refused to receive Him. It was not that they were ignorant of His visitation, or they were... It's not because they were ignorant of of Jesus' presence, but they deliberately refused to recognize Him as their God. Though physically with them, they they failed to recognize Jesus as their God. Well now, you may be asking, after the very uh, first point, you may be asking, well, wasn't the royal treatment, wasn't the welcome that Jesus received at the time of entering the city of Jerusalem, wasn't that an evidence that they did see Him? They did receive Him? Did the Jews not hail Him as their King as He entered Jerusalem? Again, I think we have to understand that being God, Jesus being God and being uh, omniscient, 
Jesus knew uh, just the fickleness of the people who were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were weeping. They were probably crying tears of joy. But Jesus in His omniscience also knew that soon those cries of Hosanna would turn to crucify Him. Crucify Him. Demanding death and punishment for the same person they were hailing Him as their King and Savior. Perhaps Jesus knew that one of His hand-picked disciples, Judas, would betray Him. He maybe perhaps knew that another disciple named Peter would deny Him and do so three times. He knew that Caiaphas, the high priest, the highest leader of the Jewish community, would conspire with Pilate, the Roman governor, and eventually bring about death for Jesus. And why did, why did people have such a change in their hearts? We have to ask. One moment they praised Him, they adored Him, they followed Him, they've accepted Him, and just like that, their hearts would be overturned. They would curse Him, they would blame Him, and they would wish upon Him death. I think we have to, we can't ignore the fact that the people of Israel or the Jews expected someone, they expected their Messiah, their Savior to come. They probably envisioned in their heads physical salvation. They probably wanted to see physical deliverance. They probably wanted to see the overthrowing of the government of Rome in their land. He probably wanted to see salvation would come in the form of expelling the invaders. They would have their own nation back. They would have a very powerful king to rule over them. And to make sure that they are strong and formidable in the eyes of the world. But perhaps Jesus knew that the people of Israel would be greatly disappointed. That God's method of salvation will be that Jesus, so-called Messiah, would come and be hailed not as king, not as a powerful ruler, but as one of the worst criminals at that time, would face death on a cross, death that was so shameful, was only reserved for those of the worst of all criminals. So you're, you're Jesus. You're riding on a donkey. You're entering the city of Jerusalem. You're seeing and hearing people shouting praises. But you also see the frailty of their faith. You see the reality of the brokenness that sin brings upon people. For that reason, Jesus is grieving. And Jesus is weeping. Because the very people of His hometown... The same people that remain close to you, he knew that would soon turn on him. I think it's so true what John chapter 1 verse 11 says. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. How sad is that? Jesus wept. He wept because this very truth 
broke his heart. And I believe it still does. It still breaks God's heart when God's people reject him. He's just as grieved when we are fickle in our faith. We adore him. We praise him. We love him during the good seasons of our lives. We love it. We stay close by him when he brings forth, pours forth favor and anointing and blessedness in our lives. But I believe God can easily weep over the fact that we are so fickle. As soon as we encounter a tribulation, as soon as we encounter a bump on the road, as soon as we're enamored by a little bit of difficulty in our lives, we are so quick to shun Him. We're so quick to blame Him. We're so quick to turn on God and His Son, Jesus. And I believe for that reason, Jesus weeps over you and me today. And the last reason why Jesus wept so bitterly over Jerusalem is this. Jesus wept because of his unbounded love for the people of Jerusalem. The love that Christ has for us is just like the love that he had for the people of Jerusalem. Let's read verse 44 together here. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. And notice the language here where he brings up this image or this comparison as he refers to them, you and the children. And I was reminded of Psalm 103 verse 13 which says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion and those who fear Him. This passage alludes to the relationship that God has with us. Or the way we often relate to God. It's that God sees us as beloved children. And that we see God as a loving Father. Now we can see that the tears that Jesus shed on His way to Jerusalem were not just tears of grief over their lack of peace. It wasn't just simply that he was mourning and grieving and weeping over their sins of unbelief. But perhaps most importantly, the reason why Jesus wept and he wept so bitterly is that he was overcome by the unbounded love for his people. See, just two days after the triumphal entry, when Jesus uttered another lamentation, over Jerusalem, he expressed his love for her peop, uh, for for the people, in much more extensively this way. In Matthew twenty three verses thirty seven and thirty seven, uh, thirty nine, he says, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones and those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather you children together, the way a hen gathers their chicks under her wings." Very powerful imagery here. It's, it's, it's almost strange and bizarre. The way that Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem is exactly the way a parent will look upon their children. There's immense love. 
There's almost this sense of like uh, uh, unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. There's no reason. Uh, just being frank, there is no reason if based on the condition of the city or based on the condition of that child, of that person, there is no reason except for the reason that because you are my child, my love for you is unabound, unbounding. My love for you is everlasting. There isn't anything that you can do to make me love you any differently than I love you now. Jesus is weeping. He's weeping as he looks over the city of Jerusalem. City of peace. The city of God. Essentially, Jerusalem represented God's children. And Jesus was lamenting over the fact because he was overcome by the love that he had for Jerusalem. Again, it doesn't make sense. You know, just a couple days ago, I had an incident where I had to pull uh, aside one of my kids and I had to uh, discipline. And in that, there was a little bit of scolding. In that, there was a little bit of disappointment and anger. But, but I had to. I had to kind of com- convey. And, and immediately, I could see that there's an awkwardness. And, and you know, I was, I was like fairly disappointed. But as soon as that incident happened, we, we hugged. Uh, we, uh, we finished, I finished saying what I needed to say. As soon as that happened, my heart was like, I'm constantly following after my kid. Because I want to spend time. I want to make sure that I want to assure my kid just how much I love. I'm like chasing, chasing. Now I'm being scolded. Now I'm being told to go away. Now I'm being told to just be quiet, just leave me alone. And the whole time, I'm like, man, I love this kid. And I realized there's nothing, there's nothing that my children can do to take away or minimize the love that I have for my kids. In the same way, when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, He was most overwhelmed. And He was extreme, He was overcome by the immense love that He had for the city. Dear friends, friends at Rooftop, I believe today that the same Jesus who wept tears of love at that time, I believe that He weeps also out of love for you and me today. Right this moment, He weeps over you. I know. Come on, man. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, Let's keep it uplifting. Focus on the cheering. Let's sing Hosanna. Come on, let's smile, laugh, rejoice. But I want you to understand just how much God loves you. Perhaps you have been like Jerusalem. Maybe perhaps today you find yourself in a backslidden condition. Perhaps in a broken condition, ravaged by the opposing forces surrounding you. In the frailty of your faith, you have, your, you have conceded your heart. 
things other than God. Perhaps today you find yourself in the state of confusion caused by the frailty of your faith. Perhaps you have been deliberately unwilling to listen to God's many calls to you. His call for you to obey Him. His call for you to renew your first love with Him. Perhaps you have deliberately ignored those invitations. If yes to any of these questions, if yes to any of these conditions that I just described to you, and I pray, and I encourage you to respond to God today. Respond to His love. Allow God to be God and draw back to you, uh, draw you back to Himself. Let God's love bind you with a new commitment and resolve to walk with Him each day so that you may in this season walk with the confidence and the assurance that you are not forgotten, you are not abandoned, you are not forsaken, but God walks with you every step of the way. I've always believed that God is a gentleman. He will never force Himself upon you. So I urge you today, no matter the conditions of your heart, maybe you feel that, man, it's just awkward. It doesn't feel like it. And I can wait one more week, one more month. I pray that today be the day that you respond to the knock on the door of your heart. As Revelation tells us, Jesus is waiting outside that door. He's knocking and knocking. He's a gentleman. He will never force himself into the door. Though he can't, he will never do that. I pray that you answer the knock on your heart. Open your heart up and allow Jesus to be led into your house. In the fullness of God's glory and His perfect love, He will restore all that is broken in you. He will forgive all the transgressions and the sins that you have committed up until now. And He will even restore you of the broken heart, the brokenness that you've encountered and experienced during the course of your life. Today, let us receive the King. Today, as we rejoice, as we sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. We are glad. We are glad not only for the king to come riding on a donkey. We are glad that our king, while riding on a donkey, our beloved king also weeps over us. And while seeing him, and even the fact that he weeps over us, we rejoice again and again. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. And God, let us today worship Him. Let us today welcome Him into our lives. And for some of us, back into our lives. May you see Jesus, may you see Jesus weeping over you today. May that cause you to behold Him and have Him so intimately. Church, let us bow our heads in prayer.
God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for the reminder just how much you love us, God. God, as you have made this wonderful journey on Palm Sunday, Lord, just a few days before crucifixion, before resurrection, God, you brought yourself closer to to the very people that you came for. And God, you conveyed right then and there of your intent of coming to us on this earth. You reminded them that you came not out of the anger of judgment, but you came to restore all that was broken. You came to restore peace that was lost. You came to love on us without any condition. God, today as your people, God, we long for a Savior in the same way. Come to us as we are, as broken, as inadequate, as helpless and lost as we are. And God, rule over us as your king. God, we hail you as our king. Rule over us. We thank you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.